Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. I'm your host, Zach Geist. This show is made possible by Student Loan Tutor, which you can find at studentloantutor.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and give us a review. Thank you. Yeah, so um, I'm Marouane Lecour, and uh, I'm originally from France, and uh, I moved to the U.S. about 10 years ago. I live in a little village in New Mexico at high altitude, 8,500 feet elevation with my wife and three kids. And but right now I'm in Mexico enjoying it, enjoying the much better weather. And I'm also the founder of MoveNat, which is um, the method for natural movement. The natural movement is actually a term that I coined really in the sense of um, defining fully the concept behind it and then making it popular and on the verge of being mainstream now, today. Uh, so it's been more than 12 years now that I've been talking about natural movement. Uh, back in the days, people would be asking what it is. Today, this a lot of people still ask what it is, but there's also a lot of person who would say, oh yeah, uh, you mean like walking and running in nature and jumping and balancing and crawling and climbing trees and whatnot and lifting and carrying things. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Well, did you know 12 years ago, whenever, absolutely whenever, I would say, well, people would ask me, what do I do? I would say, move not. What is move not? Well, it's natural movement. What is natural movement? Oh, you mean um, like yoga or like tai chi, like, kind of like pilates, you know, like stretching, this and that. Even, I mean, uh, even professionals, fitness professionals would ask the exact same question. So my point is that there was really no idea whatsoever. Nobody was able to have a view, constructive uh, view of what natural movement is as a concept. It could be basically anything. And anything, in most cases, doesn't mean much. (laughs) It's anything you wanted to, if you want it to be, or if nobody knows, then let's just say movement, you know, anything goes, movement, whatever, whatever the movement, ping pong is movement, uh, bodybuilding is some form of movement, you know, uh, and I thought that, well, if we're going to say natural movement, if I'm going to use that term, it's got to have really a rationale behind it that's compelling that's intellectually relevant and sound and that everybody can agree with and not to say natural movement is whatever you want it to be. Just whatever the way you move spontaneously is your natural movement and your natural movement is not my natural movement. It's much more than that. Great. That actually reminds me of a book that I read by Ruthie Alon. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, movement modality called Feldenkrais. Have I you- am. Um, I- I am to some extent. I've not studied it, but interestingly, uh, many Feldenkrais practitioners tell me, "Hey, um, I really, I really relate to your work because, you know, there are obviously uh, some principles that are going to overlap." It's great when I fall do, practicing natural movement. Uh, I look at natural movement as a philosophy and uh, and a perspective of basically looking at how human beings with our bodies, and I know you touch on this in your book, there's a lot about the philosophy of natural movement and kind of 
what's caused so much of our problems as humans and technology and what we do from day to day. I think you call it the hamster wheel, uh, if I'm hamster, not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hamster fitness. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what, and I'm going to get into that with some of the questions, but it's a philosophy of looking at how human beings have evolved in, over a really long period of, our, of time and how our bodies are built in that way. And then now our movement patterns are so small and then there becomes further and further adaptations to keep us stuck in the positions that we spend all day in. Like both of us are sitting right now in chairs and uh, provided we did this for 10 hours a day or eight hours or nine hours then sat in a car for another hour and then got home and sat in a couch for another hour or two and then laid on a cushy bed and then woke up and did it all over again. And then fast forward 65 years or 70 years of that, what is our body going to look like? So natural movement being a different philosophy that that would be considered not natural movement and natural movement would be more of a philosophy of how human beings bodies were designed to move and then engaging with nature and the environment and even your own home and couch in that way in a playful way. Can you talk about that a little bit about kind of the difference between maybe walking down the street when you practice natural movement versus walking down the street if you're just trying to rush and get to work? <laughs> so you see um yeah natural movement is a philosophy in the sense that there's so much to to talk about there's so much to explain and describe my whole book is about it uh at least the whole manifesto is about it um but that's that's only because we we needed that that intellectual reset on a simplicity that has been forgotten for too long and by too many. Uh, and therefore, we're talking about what's not the philosophy and which is the movement behavior. What is a human's original human, uh, uh, movement behavior, physical behavior? What is our typical, normal physical behavior as a modern human being? And what did it used to be in the past, and what it, is it still in areas of the world where people live a very simple, down-to-earth, close to, close to nature lifestyle? And it's radically different. So what happened? Why is it that our movement behaviors, physical behaviors, on a day-to-day -day basis have changed that much to our detriment? And you see, that's not a philosophy. Um, there's the part that we explain. There's the, the what and the why, what happened, why do we need to move that way? And then there's the how, the how-to. Uh, and then um, there's that behavior on a day-to-day -day basis that we've lost and that we need to recover. Today, uh, holding a deep squat is a physical challenge for most people. How is that even possible? Um, hanging is a physical challenge for most people. Uh, getting up and getting down to the ground, to, to the floor, to sit and back to a stand-up position without using your hands, without using any support from your hands or arms, is a physical challenge. How come? Today, walking barefoot on natural surfaces to most people 
is a physical challenge. Running on such surfaces is not even something most people would even consider. So there's definitely a huge weakening and, and loss of ability that stems from those behaviors you've, you've talked about, what we do every day. What a typical person does every day when they wake up is to stand up and uh, to walk a few steps, go to the kitchen, sit, have breakfast, take a shower, so take a few steps, stand, sit, stand back up, walk a few steps to the next seat. At the end of the day, after we've worked most of the time working at a desk job, and we feel tired because it can be stressful. What do we need to do? We need to sit more on a couch to relax. And then it's time to go to bed. There is no movement variation beyond that almost at all in most people's day-to-day -day physical behavior. None. There's no variety. There's no variability. There's no intensity. And there's no complexity as in adapting to diverse changing surfaces. Because that makes things even worse. The kind of places where we sit are all the same. They're all chairs. They're all designed the same. They make us sit the same. And uh, the kind of surfaces where we stand and walk are the same. They're all flat and stable and linear and predictable. Sometimes you have a few steps up, a few steps down. That's it. And we're wearing shoes all day. So how do we expect from a physiological perspective to not see our functions shrink? It's unavoidable. And that's our predicament. So the difference between a person walking down the street, practicing movement, practicing because both will be natural movement, right? Walking is a natural movement. Mm -hmm. Now, if you use the, the, the practice uh, method, the method for natural movement practice, which is move that, then instead of just going from point A to point B without questioning, without, it's just you have some distance to walk and that's it. But if you have a natural movement mindset, then you're going to think about what walking does to your body when it's done maybe differently so you might try to spot surfaces where maybe it's a little rocky or different uneven at an angle and you will choose to go walk on those surfaces instead of just the flat surface because you know that it will be good for a function good for your joints good for loading loading your tissues differently and challenging them and making them more healthy, healthier and, and, and more capable and stronger. And so maybe you will also do a few slight, you know, strides on your way. You will step out and step, step on the side and, and uh, uh, move in a non-linear way. Try to get that variety and variability and complexity of surfaces that is missing in everyday's life that would be the difference right there it's a good and, start and it sounds like a subtle difference until you're actually doing it and i could attest to that from actually experiencing that because all of a sudden 
you're, you're engaging with your environment. You're asking yourself questions like, you know, what's around me? Oftentimes I felt like I was so in my head that I wasn't even looking outside of it. I was thinking about something, planning, worrying about something. And instead I was, I'm actually engaged here was very calming experience, very meditative, which was an, was, was not something that I expected. I didn't expect the experience to be meditative. And the, in, the, the more the, complex, the complexity and variability and the stability was off, uh, and the next step was very different than the first one, uh, the more present I became, it didn't take any effort. I didn't have to say any mantras to myself. It was simply my interaction with the environment and boom, I was 100% as somebody would say in the now. That is a very powerful insight, uh, which I, I to describe in my book where I explain that, um, mindfulness, if it's just closing your eyes, and be with yourself in your own mind. It's okay. It's good. It's a good start. But anybody can attempt to be still. Attempt to meditate. Try to isolate any distraction. Be in a specific room. Maybe with a specific calming music and incense. And that's good. But you're removing all the distractions to make it easy. And that's when you can easily actually get yourself caught into thinking about something else, another place, another time. And it has happened to all of us who've meditated. And mindfulness, when you are interacting with external variables, you can't be absorbed in you. You can't just be in your headspace in the sense of being trapped in your head because you must open all of your senses, not just the senses in your head of you know what you see, and what you can hear. We're talking about through the ground, through your feet, through your hands that are touching the environment. The interaction with diverse and sometimes unpredictable surfaces and environmental demands. Now that does two things. It demands and it produces higher levels of mindfulness. You're more mindful, not because you've removed all the variables and make your environment basically sterile, but precisely because you intentionally interact the most in the most effective and the most efficient way with the world around you the natural world around you that's when amazing mindfulness arises because thinking becomes irrelevant it doesn't help your movement <laughs> it does the opposite of that it does the opposite because thinking anyways is way too slow for movement mm -hmm. and when you're tr jumping over a little obstacle trying to balance on that single leg on that rock that maybe is a little wobbly you gotta be very very attentive and be really alert and responsive that is cognitive engagement right there 
because you have your natural self-preservation instinct that kicks in. You don't want to hurt yourself and thinking doesn't work. So you cannot afford the luxury, which is to be mindless, mm-hmm. which is to think that, oh, that's just physical. That's lower. It's, you're crawling and, you know, walking and, or running. And that's not mindful. It's just it's physical. That's low level. Mm-hmm. You're kidding me. That's the highest level, actually. Mm-hmm. It is your level <laughs> because, <laughs> because of that, that instinct. That, because the reason why we have a brain in the first place was never to talk about philosophy, uh, abstract, it was never for abstract thinking and talking about the, the history of art and whatnot. It was so that we could effectively and safely navigate through complex environments for the sake of our survival. So when you are somewhere in nature and you want to go there, you're a fortune teller. Your brain has to go through an amazing amount of calculations. Mm. And mathematics, it's just anticipation so that it starts to get a sense of how it's going to get there, the multiple the sequence of multiple movements and positions you'll have to go through to end up there effectively, number one, to be successful at ending up in that spot where you want to be at the time where you need to be there and to do that the most efficiently possible without wasting energy or time and while keeping yourself safe from injury that's tremendously demanding it's demanding of all of the systems of our of our holistic body our body is one whole environment organism system because it's one system so our nervous system our brain uh being able to future tell based on like it's not a okay i move through this environment this way there's something that must happen faster and i know in some sports with like tennis for example People are actually shown to move like milliseconds before the ball is even hit. So essentially the body and the mind and everything else is looking at the subtle cue of exactly how that person is positioned, the wind, all of those things. And it's moving before the ball's coming. It's not moving directly related to the ball. It's moving before. And as I practice natural movement more and more, I find myself somehow moving in a way like I will slip, but I won't even realize I've slipped yet. And my body will react and roll with the slip and I won't get hurt. Actually, one of the most awesome things that happened is I was coming down this muddy hill and someone was walking up and I hadn't seen anybody in a long time. And all of a sudden, boom, I saw somebody and I look up for just a second and that look up probably tilted. I don't know exactly what it is. My mind didn't do that. This is me reflecting on it afterwards. But my my neck tilted up. Obviously, the weight moved and shifted in my feet and then boom, I fell. But somehow I felt that I was falling and... I was able to fall completely gracefully and I was up before I even, it didn't even look like I fell. I did. It was like, boom, boom. Like the momentum shift of my body just came right back up. And the person that was walking goes, that looked weird. Like he like, he was like stunned by how bizarre it looked to be able to fall and get back up. And I was equally kind of shocked and almost slipped again. And looking back at how, like, 
at his amazement to my fall. So it's funny how our mind gets tangled up into all and of that. And you can that. never produce it at will because parts of your brain took over. And if you wanted to do it, replicate the same thing intentionally, then it wouldn't work because you would not have the same uh, looseness. Um, you would operate from a different part of your brain. So that's, it's fascinating. But um, yeah, what you're talking about is those reflexive uh, motions and because it's adaptable. Mm -hmm. movement, natural movement is adaptable. It's adaptable to the context where you are, the environment where you are. And it is because you must be effective at that interaction that your thinking doesn't work. This is your absorbed literally in the here now in no time it's meditation literally meditation in movement as a lot of people become mechanical and reductionistic and specialize in specific movements as well as specific professions and specific ways of thinking uh something that i've been looking at just overall is how to expand out from engaging with life even not just the natural environment but life in general from a more holistic perspective. For example, uh, some people would find it very strange that I'm doing an interview with you and that I'm applying it to a community of people that meet and practice regenerative agriculture uh, where most of those people are, are very liberal minded. And then on the other side, working with finance and uh, doctors and physicians. And from what we can tell, most of our clients are actually very conservative and more uh, especially on from a financial perspective and how does this apply like mm -hmm. this way of this philosophy of thinking at, from a, from a more holistic, constantly expanding, constantly growing. I found that in practicing natural movement, that element of my life being so reductionistic because before I would sit and stand and do the walk 10 feet, just like you talked about in your uh, in the beginning of this call and then for one hour a day, or maybe an hour and a half, I would lift the heaviest weights I possibly could in the gym. And I would be doing what I thought eventually. First, I was isolating muscles, and then I started doing compound movements. And, uh, and then I injured myself. And I would continuously injure myself over and over again. And I thought, okay, it's my fault. I need to stabilize my core more. You know, I need to get special squatting shoes because my body's just not aligned this way. I need to do more mobility training. So I'm stretching for 45 minutes before. And all that would do is increase my energy. All of a sudden, I'm more mobile and I'm trying to put the same load on. Now I'm injuring myself even more. Or what's worse is that crazy injury where I couldn't walk for a month and I had a walker and everything and nobody could figure it out. All my muscles were spasming. My back of my spine, I forget what it's called, but it was actually rounded underneath. And it's because at this point in time, I was going from sitting, standing, walking a couple steps to four days a week lifting really, really heavy weights. And the other two days a week dancing, absolutely spinning my body around. And my, and, you know, my body eventually just snapped. The, the minute it went under load, boom, everything became so loose and then heavy load. At least that's my guess. Nobody really quite knows what it is. But I, I would say that it's the opposite of how human beings are normally acting. I don't think in the case of history, in the history of human existence, 
any human being did with my with their body what mine did where they didn't move for 22 of the 24 hours and then put extreme loads of weight Definitely and then two not. days of weeks jumping and spinning around and they would also not lift that heavy mm -hmm. um so yeah or they would not lift that heavy doing uh, movements you know, uh, loaded movements in the way you're, that are just not practical. Like what you do in a gym when you lift weight and the movement they show you, the movement that are replicated in those, that are based on, you know, isolating muscles to pump them up, to make them stronger, whatever. But in the end, uh, um, you would never ever do that in nature. Mm -hmm. Your ancestors would never do that. They would laugh at you if they were to see you do that. They would be like, what, what was that kid doing? Uh, because uh, 100,000 years ago, we never did that. And actually, our ancestors 500 years ago did not do that either. Huh? No, they didn't. Well, what did they do? Well, they, they did lift heavy stuff, but in a more natural and practical way. And they would probably not lift crazy heavy. Well, you know, what's fascinating, Erwin, is that for me, I became so used to extrinsic rewards. So I would keep notes of like how strong I was getting. And then I would give myself like mental rewards for going to the gym, getting what people call gains, right? And that's a big shift between where I had the fortune, <laughs> the misfortune or fortune of not being able to work out in a gym for the past two and a half years until discovering natural movement. Uh, so I was grateful to just watch any game start happening, which had happened really quickly once I started being able to move. I couldn't go to the gym. I kept trying to return. I even tried something called ARX. I don't know if you're familiar with that, adaptive resistance training where you're pushing. And that worked for a minute and then the pain actually got even worse. Uh, my body essentially was almost felt like it was rebelling against me. Like certain yes, muscles. Were yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not your body that was rebelling. It's your central nervous system. The central nervous system was telling you, um, okay, you're trying to do some physical activity, but not in the way that I expect you to move. And if the central nervous system or, you know, the part of the brain that's, Responsible for movement was to it's not that it talks to you it talks to yourself it's talk to itself uh it's uh it's like there's a part of you the part of your brain that says i gotta get back in shape you know it's good i gotta get stronger i gotta get this and that and this looks like a reasonable program that might help me good and then there's that other part of your brain that's like dude I understand your rationale. I understand your uh, your diagnostic. You need to move more. You need to be f more physical. Absolutely right. But it's the solution I have to disagree with. <laughs> if you insist on those pseudo solutions that are actually not even solutions, I'm going to show you that you should stop doing that in a way that you can really understand. Thank <laughs> you to be pain. Yeah. Pain and a walker and a cane and yeah. 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 And, and again, um, everybody's different.
and it's possible that such solutions to some or some options to some people would do wonders and they would be like this program saved my life i was unable to do this and now i can do that um and uh like for instance yoga yoga there's a lot of people that just you know they they could not move hardly and then they started yoga and then it just transformed their life and that's a beautiful thing but you also never hear about the people who took up yoga and severely injured their vertebrae in the neck or whatever and um and completely stopped and uh, it just you know and they would say well yeah but it wasn't done, it wasn't done right and this and that maybe but maybe there's a number of positions that are maybe traditional and so look valuable or beautiful from a traditional perspective of again of tradition and but, but they're not for everybody and actually they're not for most people and you should not try to force your body into those positions for the sake of well but i'm getting better at this practice you can injure yourself you can injure yourself doing natural movement and i would say hey maybe it wasn't done right or maybe it was done right but maybe your body was not ready maybe um you pushed yourself too hard maybe you don't sleep enough maybe your whole body is completely inflamed and um, therefore the input which is movement does not benefit you actually it's the opposite because your overall lifestyle sucks yeah i had a night with poor sleep and my like i went to the same place so when i was in Kauai, i would take this hike down secrets called secrets beach so it's not a secret anymore i'm giving it away but you hike down and there's first second and thirds beach and at the end of first beach, there's this freshwater spring that's coming down the rocks and you could catch water. So you about walk about a mile down, it's a mile back and it's over rocks and, you know, some dirt and sand and the ocean waves are coming up. Sometimes it's real high tide. You've got to like run and cut in, which like before the waves come and pull you out. And uh, so we would go, me and, me and my girlfriend, Madeline, we would go and we'd carry these three gallon jugs of water and we'd fill it up and uh and carry it and the first day we have to set it down a couple times you know the next time you know we go and we're able to carry it almost the whole way but by the end of the month that we were there i was able to carry it on my head for half the way and jump across rocks that are slippery some of them are slippery some of them aren't uh i would even almost fall and be able to catch it and be okay with it i'd be able to put both the three gallon jugs on my either shoulder and walk across the rocks and up hills there's mud i'm like sliding back but i'm not falling and my i'm watching my muscle build and it's fun uh so and i got water fresh water from the spring so uh it brought a lot of attention and the entire time i was there i didn't see anybody else doing the same thing people were pretty amazed by it uh, but had they seen me a month prior they would see that i was kind of emaciated like my body didn't bend, like I struggled, you know, kind of walking up steps if they were too high. And the next thing you know, within a month, I'm walking with a three gallon water on my head over rocks. It doesn't even seem possible. If, if you didn't experience my own subjective reality of what it was like to be in my body, you would think I was making up the previ previous condition or I was on some type of drug uh, when I was carrying the water. It's beautiful. Uh, there's two principles in the natural movement manifesto that explain that there's the progressive principle and there's the environmental principle 
the progressive principle because you did that pretty much every day and you did that um, and it was low intensity uh, it was challenging enough but not too hard mm -hmm. and then you played as by feel progressively you played walking a little faster maybe or carrying the the loads differently or in a more challenging way uh you see that, that variation and variability i was talking about and complexity because then you're stepping on stones uh it was there so progressively your body adapted your mind adapted and uh, physiologically you started to thrive but also because of the environmental principle which is simply you're outside fresh air natural air natural light sunlight so important for your health you know, don't forget natural water then the healing power of water the earth the earth the earth under my feet the healing power of the earth with everything it contains the ocean the water the the, the breeze the light um the plants the vibrations all of that combined and your own natural movement behavior through that natural world now this is a extremely potent combo it's like my mood even when i wasn't doing it like after before if just you were to try to and then uh i'm sorry i didn't mean to no uh, go ahead i was caught in my uh in the thread of my uh my, my message right there is that on top of that, you probably ate fresh fish and fresh fruits and local food, seasonal, all of that combined. And now you have basically the natural movement lifestyle. You have not just the movement practice, not just the natural movement behavior and, and practice. You have sleep, deep sleep. You had love, relationship, companionship. You had tranquility, simplicity, pacing, no stress. You had all of that together, all of us variables, the synergy of it. That's the true meaning of being holistic. And you can try to replicate that in a city with some therapist or some whatever, and they're going to have you, hey, do some aromatherapy and... Uh, maybe do some meditation and also do some, do some rolfing or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's great, but it's never going to be as potent as the real deal, the whole context, because you got to remember that the reason why you're probably dealing with those ailments, be them physical, functional, psychological, spiritual it's because there's no way you can possibly thrive in artificial environments where you live with your own artificial behaviors and mindset. The, the mindset of work uh, at the desk job, you probably are doing every day for several hours a day, committing to do something your brain resists that you don't like, that does not make you happy, that is not really relevant to who you are. It's stressful for a reason. But hey, everybody needs to make a living. But nonetheless, you're probably doing a job that you don't really like. You may not have a relationship that is satisfying. You are every day in your own house, in your home, and then in your workplace, 
in artificial environments, artificial air, artificial light, artificial everything, then maybe the food is suboptimal. Maybe you're trying to get some supplement and the greens, some greens stuff, but there's also some processed food in the mix. So fascinating you're talking about the food and all the unnatural environment. Here in Salt Lake City, it's one of the worst air qualities during the winter. We have something called the inversion, which essentially, if you just imagine, it's like putting a lid on a pot and then boiling the pot. But instead of it being water, it's smog and coal, and it's really bad. That's why I leave in the, in the wintertime and go to Hawaii where the air is really pure. Uh, and in this place, we actually just put in a greenhouse. So in this dance, this community that we run, we have a permaculture food forest with a greenhouse with all beyond organic. Uh, and by beyond organic, I just mean that there's multi-diversity. The soil is all built with compost. People that actually are making are planting the food are the same people picking the food and it's picked that same day. There's someone parachuting behind you. That's a new form of new form of natural movement that's Wait, no. only for birds previously yeah that's a parachute yeah this one <laughs> it's just like a boat, boat parachute yeah it's more sitting sitting in the air <laughs> sitting in there more sitting that's yeah, another so, what, you know you see what you talk about is beautiful it's uh people who are committed to um restoring land that has been depleted uh restore you know healing the the soils um, growing food the right way, community, uh, simplicity. It's a beautiful thing because with what I said just a little earlier, I guess a number of people could react in a, you know, protesting a little, be like, well, it's not that simple. And maybe you have, you know, you're lucky you have the ideal life. and um, But it's not our case and uh, we have to. Okay. So here's my message. If I had followed the path that I was supposed to be following when I was a teenager and I looked at my dads and my friends and the neighbors and everything and we lived in the suburbs of Paris and everybody pretty much was was commuting um, or in a train going to work in an office somewhere coming back uh, my dad was smoking and was really not eating healthy. All of that. If I had considered all of this as normal and acceptable, then there would be no natural movement book, no move nat. None of my work would have existed. Because I would have a completely different lifestyle, a completely different life, a completely different view, a completely different experience, a completely different health my body would not be as healthy, as self-actualized, as happy and satisfied in my life. To get there has been a succession of many, many, many choices and commitment to living a certain way and a certain experience of who I am, who I choose to be in this world. And that's a process, and everybody's capable of engaging in that process. So if there are aspects, if all of your life you don't like any of your life today, or if there are some aspects of your life that you wish you could change, well, you can't change them, and it may not happen overnight, but if you organize yourself, if you commit to that happiness on your own terms, it's achievable. 
the people who are doing permaculture could be doing conventional farming. Mm -hmm. Or worse, could just have a job they hate. So there are entire um, aspects of that whole economy that's made of jobs and that made of, of activities that could be changed if people decided to. For instance, there's a whole industry that's based on um, skincare that's made of hundreds and thousands of chemicals. Mm -hmm. We don't need those chemicals in our, on our skin or in, in our body. And yet, people buy the, those products. All those chemicals end up, in, end up in our water systems and they end up in our soils. Why are people buying them? So you've got to educate yourself. Commit to choices. Commit to change. And um, anything in your life that you want to improve or change, you can, pretty much. Something I'm... Well, so much. Is, look, look at your own story, right? Yeah. Your own story. I, I'd like you to hear your story of what happened with your accident. And you could have been stuck there on meds, on painkillers, your whole life, making some surgery, maybe getting worse, and be like, that's it. That was bad luck. And now it's over for me. My physical life is over. I have clients that are chiropractors, acupuncturists, naturopathic doctors, medical doctors, doctors of osteopathy, uh, clients, financial clients, obviously. But I, I feel like this could be uh, a very good benefit for them with their patients. Yeah. Because a lot of their patients are coming with the same injuries exactly. that I have. What can a chiropractor do to help themselves or their patients that seem to be suffering from pain that won't subside with chiropractic treatment? Sometimes it works, it helps, and some patients are just not responding, like what happened with me. It provided relief for a short time, and then eventually it stopped working for me. Chiropractic alone wasn't enough. Yeah. Uh, our our observation is when, because we have a lot of uh, healthcare practitioners uh, who are learning MoveNet, the method for natural movement. And the reason is, in most cases, the those elements they they arise as a result as of a deficient physical behavior. So people sit all day, they move little there's a complete lack of natural movement. And as a result, they suffer of all these dysfunctions and these, these alterations of the, their tissues and all of that. So what we have observed, and this is why there's such a word of mouth going on, like really strong in this community of, of, of healers, of uh, healthcare practitioners, care practitioners, osteopaths, is that they somewhat have to turn themselves into educators. They need to educate their clients to simple uh, natural movements that they can do every day to support the therapy. And then you have a very potent combo right there because if uh, deficient movement, lack of movement and lack of variety of movement, that which I call natural movement, is missing from a person's life and is causing um, those problems, 
then it's very likely that it could also be a very important part of it, the antidote. I agree. You work on a patient, but if it don't change anything, it's bound to come back rapidly or there might be not even a response. And that can be frustrating because at heart, healthcare practitioners really want the wellness of their patients. That's really what they want. They don't want, they wish they would see them once or a few times and then buy and never see them again. Problem solved, next. But they see them coming back again and again and again because there's the part of a personal responsibility, which is their own movement behavior on a day-to-day -day basis that has not been addressed. And you may not want to tell them, hey, do fitness, go to a gym, because we know that doesn't work, that can actually worsen things, or do a specialized sport, because that's going to be, again, people's bodies are not ready for it, and it's too specialized. So the complete movement behavior that, that is natural movement comes into play and is going to play a very potent part in supporting the effectiveness of the therapeutic treatment. I could see something, Erwin, where uh, like a chiropractor, a lot of chiropractors are self-employed. I would say out of any one profession, Mike, I, I just started really early working with chiropractors. They have a lot of student loan debt. Uh, and most of them are self-employed, which are people that benefit from what we do. Uh, we have a lot of acupuncturists and naturopathic medical doctors too, and dentists and MDs and DOs. But uh, what I could picture is chiropractors oftentimes think pretty far out of the box. You know, they look at different nutritional elements and they look at, you know, different physical therapy and whatever the newest technology is. And I, what I could picture somebody doing that's a chiropractor with their patients is maybe even potentially having a meetup of some kind where they teach people natural movement and at the same time teach them about a lot, you know, structural alignment and chiropractic, if that's something that they would benefit from. I guess what I'm looking for too is how do, how do the chiropractors provide more value to their patients by using natural movement, but at the same time, not just sending everybody to natural movement and not having their chiropractic practice, for example. Um, it doesn't take much to show, to simply ask patients, How do you move in a day? Do you deep squat at all? Do you kneel? Uh, do you ever go on all fours? Do you ever hang? Um, you know, do you, do you ever do those variations of getting up and getting down to the floor uh, instead of just sitting on a chair? Because if they were to just do that, the body would reset itself pretty quickly um, you know recovering stability and mobility and uh, healthier tissues that again are a big part of the reason why people need a chiropractor in the first place or that often because you you shouldn't nobody should need a chiropractor every week but twice or three times a week um, you may need a chiropractor once or twice a year normally. I probably go see a chiropractor on average once a month, mm -hmm. but I'm also pretty physically active, which is also can cause also some issues. But being physically inactive causes way more issues with the body. Than being physically active. 
to be physically inactive. It causes more injury. It's like if you don't lose it, you actually injure yourself more than if you actually use it. Does. it. It's like it, it, exactly. It's like not exactly. driving your car for a long period of time. All sorts of problems right. start happening. Uh, can you talk about the connection? I found this really fascinating. I'd never heard it explained quite this way. Can you talk about the connection between the feet, shoes, the rest of the body, especially the back and the neck? Like how are the feet connected to all of this? Because I never looked at it this way. So here's the, punching here's the thing. I, I'm not myself. I am not a chiropractor. I am not a physiotherapist. I don't. There are people who are way more qualified for me to answer this type of question from a, a kinesiologic, functional, structural, and an anatomical perspective and the interaction uh, between. But simply put, your feet are your foundation. Most of the time, they support your whole body weight. First contact with the ground. If your feet are weak because they are cushioned all day, because they're never barefoot, they're never unshod, and, and then they're never moving and stabilizing the body on uneven surfaces, unstable surfaces, changing surfaces, then they're really, really weak. They're weak. The amount of function they've lost is tremendous. So you look at people here, people who uh, in Mexico, it's a little uh, fisherman village. A lot of people still walk barefoot. I'm looking at their foot. They look splendid, robust, strong, healthy. And you look at people in our societies, whenever they take off their shoes, those, those feet, they look really bad. They look so weak and soft and, and, and the shape. Gnarled and, gnarled and thin and yeah. toenails overgrown. And so how would you expect from the bottom up function and balance instructor if the feet are way too weak and out of whack to do their job which is to stabilize the rest and align the rest of the body yeah i, I look at it like the <laughs> eyes the, if the eyes are the windows to the soul it's like the feet are the doorway to movement because that's where most of our movement originates i i i pictured because in the book you talk about like our feet are in boxing gloves. And if we were had our hands in boxing gloves and we're trying to type and drive and all of that, I mean, it would dramatically change the way we move our hands. But our feet are in boxing gloves all the time, you know? And uh, when I started to walk barefoot, especially over all sorts of different surfaces, uh, it changed the way a lot of my body felt, including my feet. I had less foot pain. I used to suffer from plantar fasciitis and that went away I mean, in a matter of days, I used to wear those things that kept my foot pulled back. I mean, I, I felt like I, uh, Erwin, I felt like I was turning into Darth Vader. Like my whole life was becoming a big process by which to keep my body moving, like between massage and all these different modalities. I mean, I needed all of these things. And thankfully they existed because had they not, I would have been paralyzed on the floor. It was through chiropractic and acupuncture and naturopathic medicine and fasting and 
rolfing and structural integration and Feldenkrais that I was able to even function. Uh, but I, I didn't even understand that there was a way I could move back into a state of even greater wholeness than I experienced prior to the injury, which is what happened and what inspired this call. You see that observation you made, it's an ex it's experiential truth. And it's confirmed over and over and over. And um, it's still a lot of people resist it because they think to themselves, and that, that includes professionals, health professionals. Well, we can't be that simple. Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is why not? Mm -hmm. Why not? What? Because you know um, the solutions. I mean, you know how to treat the problem, but do you really, really understand the cause of the problem? You, because you jump on the problem and how to fix this and you forget to really look at all the variables that cause the problem and everything that's missing, everything that's not there in a person's life, in a person's environment, in a person's behavior, in all these environmental stressors that make you either healthy or unhealthy, strong or weak, capable or inept, confident or lacking confidence, etc., etc., etc. Having lots of energy or having little energy. So um, when uh, you you go back to practicing those natural movements, that variety, that variability, that complexity in nature, outside as often as possible. If you get your sleep right, if you uh, reduce inflammatory foods, especially processed foods and sugar and, and all of that, if you learn to stress less. So, Erwin, if we have a room full of thousands of chiropractors, acupuncturists, and naturopathic medical doctors, and uh, they had the question of uh, how could natural movement help their patients and themselves, uh, how, would that be, how, would, how would that help them? Well, precisely, how can natural movement help patients? The beautiful thing about this statement is that we acknowledged the necessity of natural movement. The fact that the reason why most people need therapy is because of something in their lifestyle that's missing, that's either deficient or that's not done right. And um, we think we think how sleep can be detrimental to health or lack, lack thereof. Uh, nutrition can be detrimental to health. Crazy levels of stress are very detrimental to health. And in the end, that's people's lives. It's in their hands. And chiropractors want to educate their patients want at least to have them consider the importance of those lifestyle patterns and if it could do something to improve in some way, it would be beneficial to them. So natural movement is one of those patterns. It's as important as proper sleep, proper nutrition, time in nature, healthy relationships, low levels of stress. It's as important. So usually 
people say, well, you want your patients to be physically active. But physically, physically active is way too vague. It's way too general. Because, um, say, going to the gym, sitting on exercise machines, and trying to isolate your muscles to get strong, that's being physically active. So everybody, everybody will acknowledge the importance of being physically active. But again, being physically active can mean so many different things. And the bodybuilders that come to your practice and have those recurrent issues are physically active. Or that person who does running is physically active. But here's the problem. In the case of being doing bodybuilding, you are physically active in a way your body is not designed to move because the machines alter the natural way of movement of the human body. And in the case of running, running is definitely a natural movement, but the way it's done is not, not natural. You're probably running always the same distance at the same pace on the same surfaces, wearing the same shoes. And it, you're physically active, but it doesn't mean that you are ever deep squatting, getting up, getting down, hanging, balancing, crawling, and doing that whole scope of natural movements. Therefore, a physically active person in the sense of being a runner is a hyper-specialized physical activity, whereas the body boulder has an artificial physical activity. Those are problems. And, and we're not even talking about the, the, the people who do nothing at all. So telling them be physically active, first off, there's a reason why they're not physically active. They have probably been just completely failed by the fitness industry because it's just so off in terms of what, what's the, the body's movement potential truly is. Uh, or it's programs that tell them that they must suffer and train hard and this and that and just don't want any of that. So natural movement is a solution that is just so beautiful and potent simply because natural movement is the original human way to move. This is a universal way to move. We all originally would be living in nature and deep squatting every day, uh, uh, deep knee bend every day, balance some, crawl some, can you tell us about some success stories that you've experienced with your clients and your trainers? Cause you have a lot of trainers uh, where chiropractic, physical therapy, acupuncture and traditional medicine wasn't helping them, but they were injured and then they've become no longer injured. Can you tell us about any of these? Yeah. When I started uh, my, my first workshops, uh, when I moved to the U S in 2009, and I did my first workshops. There were five days workshops in the woods of West Virginia. And that guy came and he was slightly, he was, he was overweight clearly, but most importantly, he was not talking to anybody. He looked sad. He looked kind of autistic. And um, he had a, a jar uh, at the dinner table that he was carrying along all the time with him. And then I was sitting next to him or in front of him. And I start to look at the jar and uh, and then I asked him, what, what is it? And he said, uh, it's a, it's a painkiller. It's a, it's a, like a gel because mm -hmm. I had chronic pain right there in my neck constantly in pain, like really big pain. 
I realized that that jar, that 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 analgesic uh, painkiller jar, was actually a, a veter veterinary version. It was for horses. Mm. Yeah, so that's the kind of relaxing effect this man needed. So yeah, that that guy really needed that powerful of a of a gel to try to relax his his neck muscles. By the third day, he tells me of practice. So we're talking about practicing natural movements every day in nature. By the third day, he say, Erwan, I don't want to be too hopeful, but my pain is, I don't feel pain today. I'm like, okay, let's see. Let's keep practicing. And then by the fourth day, he says, today I'm not in pain again. That's, that has never happened. Mm -hmm. And by the fifth day, we had to call him the unstoppable. Because he was literally, he was running and then vaulting over a table and then to a sprint and then coming back and crawling and jumping. And his, le his levels of energy were off the charts compared to where he was at five days before. His behavior had completely transformed. He was full of life. And at dinner tables, instead of saying nothing and talking to nobody, he was cracking jokes and the guy was actually hilarious. And that was definitely, if you want to understand the power of natural movement, and, and you have to take into account this, it was not just natural movement every day, so a lot of movement, not high intensity, just frequency and variations and variability of, of natural movements every day in nature, sleeping well, and being fed good food, non-processed, cooked fresh, and, and all of that. Plus, maybe the community, and, and the, the, he was not working on a desk anymore. Uh, he was a photographer, by the way. He spent <laughs> hours editing his photos on, the, on his computer. But that person was not in pain anymore. How do you explain that? It almost goes the opposite of what you would think. More movement equals more chances for pain is the traditional philosophy. Exactly. So exactly. this isn't unique just to this one photographer, is it? I mean, this is an experience you probably experience over and over again. Over and over and over again. Just two months ago, less than two months ago, I was teaching a group in, uh, in Tulum in Mexico. And that guy is actually a movement trainer in Austria. And um, he came and told me about his back injury his hernia that he's had. And because of that, he could not deep squat anymore. And he asked me, do you have a specific re recommendation to help with that? And again, I'm not a therapist, but I told him that. Trust movement. So I told him, trust movement. Trust your body to relax, to um, let him, give him the permission to heal. Give him, give him or her, whatever, give your body the permission Think into that deep squat position. Tell your central nervous system to be trusting that that possibility, and don't don't think about it. Just keep doing you what you're doing now. Even though your movement trainer is certified, but you've probably never done, which is you are moving from morning to late afternoon. You're moving several hours a day for three full days on the beach in the sun with the ocean, outside. And you think, hey, this actually is so much movement might worsen everything. Mm -hmm. 
might irritate his lower back. He might just, you know, it's going to get worse. On the third day, in the afternoon, took me to the side and showed me a perfect deep squat. Wow. His heels were one inch off the ground the first day, and he could never really, you know, sink in a flat, relaxed, deep squat. And finally, he could. And it probably didn't take any effort. That was just his body's natural ability. He wasn't trying to force himself down or doing some nope. yoga pull. He just no, nope. no specific, no specific drill, but a lot of repetition, a lot of variation. Um, you know, a lot of kneeling and uh, a lot of get up and get downs and crawling. A lot of movement for his whole body, his whole spine to be mobile and to be reflexive and to be active and for his nervous system central nervous system to be like hey this is doing okay so maybe i could give permission to that spine to relax and to the rest of the body to fall into place into that position that i would before otherwise you know restrict that's the beauty of it i let the experts explain that i let the expert explain what happens from again a kinesiology approach and and use the proper jargon and the proper theory behind that this is, this is my experience over and over and over and i know that so many chiropractors are using natural movement with their clients with the exact same results that's beautiful so erwin how many uh i know you've been doing this for 12 12 years, 12 years. Uh, since MoveNats found, uh, was founded, uh, how many trainers are there throughout the world now? And how many people maybe have practiced MoveNat throughout the world? Who? Um, that's probably, growing dramatically. It is. That's probably 5,000 certified trainers worldwide um, because we hold these certifications not only all over the US, but in Europe, in South Africa, Australia, China, Japan. Brazil soon, so we, you know, yeah. There's a lot of interest everywhere in every country, and um, and then how many people we've reached? Well, all these trainers have been training a lot of people, but we also have so many people who just uh, post their training in the practice and say, hey, this is move that inspired a lot of the tools that I brought 12, 10 years ago, um, such as the two by fours for balancing. Uh, the, the, the sticks, the, the dowels that are used to step over and under um, to do all this. The idea behind those simple tools was to provide simplified environmental variables where people could train, replicate the, the, the real natural movements they would do in nature, but in an environment that is safe and progressive. Hmm. And... Uh, those tools now, I see them all the time. A lot of people, in, even in conventional gyms, and they start to it start to to catch up. They start to catch up, and they start to be like, "Oh, look at that! I'm doing those balancing movements now, and I'm also carrying a load uh, and doing this and that." <clears throat> carrying they their kids around, two kids at once, maybe even carrying their wife or their husband around on their back yes. down yes. a road, down a trail. You never, you never saw any of that ten years ago. No. <laughs> uh, but we've we've done a good job and you know they may not give you credit they may not uh hashtag you or 
whatnot. They may be even like, hey, look at how creative I am. But it's fine. You know, it's being an influencer. That's what I do. We educate people. And what they do uh, with that is, it's, you know, so, some they join us, they join our community, become licensed gyms, they become certified trainers, others that just run away with it and uh, say, hey, look at that, I'm, I'm so cool, I've discovered those new drills, look at that, they're, they're truly functional. Yeah, we, we've been doing that for over a decade. So Erwin, say, I, say I'm a chiropractor or a naturopathic physician or an acupuncturist or a medical doctor, probably that applies mostly to chiropractors because they're going to have people that are coming in injured, not knowing really how to move right. Uh, what are some ways that they could get involved with MoveNet, uh, maybe learn this process themselves, uh, see if they love it, see and if they, if they, they love do love it, be able to uh, maybe help teach this to their patients as they come in because this could be an edge for them with other you know it could be totally an edge but hey why don't you experiment it for yourself already because hey you are a human being too you might be as well that person that does a lot of you know standing and walking a few steps and sitting more and uh, um, you might have some of those functional limitations yourself and uh, I'll ask you that just try this right now um, from a standing position, get down to the floor to a sit position without using your hands and without, without putting your knees on the ground either. And see, one, can you do it? Two, if you can do it, can you do it with balance, with ease, or are you all off balance and holding your breath and stiffening all over? Uh, are you slow? Can you do it slowly? Can you do it fast? This, this is a simple test of your own ability as a human being to move in those super fundamental, super simple, normally super basic and simple ways to move, but that a lot of people don't even realize they've been losing for a long time. So uh, you could try for yourself. Can you, uh, can you hold a deep squat? And if you can, can you do it easily for a long time? Are you really, really comfortable in that position? Um, in my book, I mean, it's the Bible of natural movement. Yes, there's the philosophy that's explained, but that's less than 20% of the whole volume. 80% of that book is, is the how-to. It's dedicated to how to, in practical ways, how to implement such natural movement practice in your day-to-day -day life. So I would really recommend... Buy the book, study the book. It's a textbook, but there's no fluff in it. It's all 100% practical uh, material to educate you as a, as a practitioner, uh, as a therapist. You could educate yourself, experiment for yourself, see how it works for yourself, and then you could share with your, with your patients for also for their benefit. And again, in combination, powerful combination with therapy between natural movement practice at home and then therapy with you and your clients are going to be patients going to be ecstatic and this could be a great thing for their waiting room as well so patients when they come in can read it and i'm going to say that uh anybody that yes. is our client that refers anybody uh this month so we'll say for the month of april uh march and april Anybody that refers uh, a client to us, whether they become a client or not, if they call us and see if we could help them with their student loans, I'm going to go ahead and buy one of these books. 
from uh, from Irwin and ship it to you. And they're expensive. I mean, not expensive for how big and solid it is, but this isn't a cheaply made book. And I've taken the cover off this one. It got mangled in my backpack on the way back from Hawaii. Uh, so yeah, so for this uh, for this month, rest of March and April, I'll be buying a book for anyone that is our client that listens to this that wants to uh, uh, learn more about natural movement and knows of a colleague that would like to get some help with their student loans, or at least get a second opinion on their student loans, whether or not they become a client. We should open it a bit. Just let, sure. let's see, uh, let us see a few of those uh, movements and how they are described with, with multiple with photos. And, uh, so there's Erwin with long hair. <laughs> I had long hair once when I was young. And there's also a lot of amazing videos on your uh, YouTube channel. Uh, that makes everybody want to become, uh, not become, uh, I guess, start practicing natural movement, uh, where people are running and crawling through things, jumping over, rolling off of jumping off little tiny cliffs and rolling. And, uh, that does a lot more than us talking about it. Uh, and I'll, I'll put some links to those as well in the email that I send out. Uh, I guess if there's any, is there any final things, uh, that you wanted to share Erwin, about, uh, how somebody, if they wanted to become certified uh, in uh, become a certified natural movement uh, uh, certif uh, certified instructor, how they would do right. that? So, yeah, so I like to say that uh, natural movement is the practice, and uh, movement is the method. And uh, the mo movement is a is a curriculum in uh, three levels where you learn how to teach this, and uh, this is what really what we do. Uh, is to bring the method that we've been uh, ex experimenting on and testing and improving uh, all the time. It's been for a decade now, and that brings fantastic results. We teach, because again, maybe what we don't, uh, we didn't talk about that much is the importance of efficiency in movement. The breathing and the, the sequence and timing of positions with relaxation and, and the proper tension, all of that for each technique can be learned, can be taught. In crawling, there are diverse uh, techniques. In balancing, there are diverse techniques. In uh, uh, ground movement, uh, rolling and uh, getting up and getting down, uh, there are diverse techniques. Hanging, climbing, jumping, vaulting, running, walking. There are so many techniques and movement variations and this is what we teach and uh, it's the whole method for teaching natural movement that's movement and what does it cost to become a natural movement instructor and what is the how long does it take to become one and how do they go about that it starts with a level one i think it's uh under fifteen hundred dollars i believe the certification i have a whole team that takes care of all of that Fortunately, because I've been so busy just writing that textbook that you just showed. Um, but um, that's where you start. It's the level ones, the basics. And uh, pretty much anyone who's decently physically capable uh, and smart is able to pass the level one and become a certified trainer and start using that knowledge with uh, their clients, their patients, their neighbors, their friends, their family, or just on themselves. Um, and then if you want to progress, it, it, it leads you to a level three, which then is 
not so many pe people are actually physically capable of passing the level three because you really have to be very strong, very capable, very, very skilled. Uh, so it's a whole process. It's, um, and um, I like to look at it as a, as a lifestyle person because it, it's unlike any other fitness program where it's more a physical education curriculum. That's really what it is. It's an education system. It's, to me, it's the physical education program I wish I had had in school when I was a kid, but that did not exist. It would be beautiful if it would replace PE uh, in all the elementary schools. That would be amazing. Has it replaced PE in any elementary school yet? Because that could be an interesting... Now that I have heard of, and, uh, and it's crazy because I have been putting the, you know, that, that idea out for many years, and I, I still don't, haven't seen any school implementing this, and they're still... I mean, it's okay to learn basketball and the specific and yet subjective rules of a, a specific sport, specialized sport. But come on, I mean, kids, you need to support what they do. You want to support what kids do naturally. Naturally, kids do, don't, they don't do bicep scrolls. They don't do uh, specialized sports. They don't specialize at all, by the way. They do all practical movements. They love to jump and vault. They love to crawl under stuff and step over stuff and step up and step down and hang and swing and climb and lift and carry and throw stuff around. That's what they love to do and jump and, and run and whatever I did not mention that's natural and practical. That's what they do by instinct. Why don't we have programs that support what they do by instinct spontaneously instead of thinking that we know better? We do not know better. We don't. We, we don't know better that instinct in nature. We need to support that instinct and that, natural, that, that nature in us, that nature within, that natural movement behavior. That's what school needs to support. I do that with my, with my kids. They're uh, four and six and nine, and people are amazed by the way they move. Have you seen Captain Fantastic, the movie? <laughs> So the, 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 the metaphor, the comparison is made like every day we hear. <laughs> because I I the jump going out there. The barefoot, the jump from rock to rock. And it's, it's interesting, by the way, because even in that movie, when they do their exercise in nature, they, they start to do freaking burpees. They start to do <laughs> physical, uh, general physical preparedness. Yeah. In nature. So it doesn't matter that you're in nature. You could be doing that indoors they're not actually moving naturally you're just doing some exercise that's not what i do i'm the real captain fantastic in that regard uh my kids they climb trees they jump from rock to rock they're on barefoot on rocks on the dirt and they swim and they they balance and do all of that like it's nothing and but not mindlessly not recklessly they they are very attentive of not hurting themselves. They know what they're doing. They've been through the progressions and they never learn because of my instruction. They've learned because of one, I gave them permission. I never said, hey, don't do that. You're gonna hurt yourself. Uh, I pro always provided the environment. We've always been hiking in nature, being outside in nature. And last, they learn because of mimicry. 
because of they've been watching their parents, my wife and, and myself, moving in those natural ways outside in nature, and it's just natural to them, so they just replicate what they see. They replicate what they see. So compared to other kids, the way they move is really, it's really amazing. Um, and people are baffled. They're baffled by their ease, by their confidence, by their level of skill at such a young age. But and we're does, not. It, does it carry over to their studies and everything else? I would imagine it would. Like when you have confidence, they've, they've seen, I mean, studies have shown that People do better on tests. People have better relationships. People they are, are in, in a different light from, the, from their peers. They are very alert. They, we don't have, we don't know what is like a HDHD. Or I was just going to say, you don't need Adderall for them. Or being hyperactive and having mood swings and, and whatnot. They don't have any of that. They're very sharp. They're very alert. That doesn't make them, you know, geniuses. That doesn't make them savants. It just makes them super healthy, alert kids that are, they have their moments, but overall, they're very composed. They're very attentive. They're very smart. Uh, so it does participate. Their natural movement behavior does participate to their cognitive function. And you know what? It participates to the cognitive function of adults. As a matter of fact, we even have a scientific study on that that proves that natural movement boost your um, working memory, which is proven to be more important than IQ, actually. Working memory is how well and fast you process information and data. Um, and so they, they did a, a, a study on three groups. First group did nothing. Second group did yoga. Third group did natural movement. Natural movement practice was simplified to hanging from tree branches and doing balances, balancing on, on elevated surfaces, not too high, of course. As you would expect, the, the group who did nothing had no impact whatsoever on their working memory test. As you would not expect, but honestly, I did expect it. The, the yoga group had no impact whatsoever, not even a little. It did not change their working memory test at all. The only group that had a significant uh, benefit to their working memory was a natural movement group. Okay, so if remember I said the reason why you have a brain is to navigate through complex environments. So it would make sense that when you do that as a physical practice, and and we understand now that it it we we now understand that it's not just a physical process. It requires mindfulness, which means that your brain is actively engaged in solving those movement problems for adaptability, effectiveness, efficiency, and safety. So once you've done that practice, it boosts your cognition. Why would not that carry over to any other area of your day-to-day -day activity, including abstract thinking uh, and you know, working because in the end it's your brain and your brain, you don't have a brain on movement and the brain for something else. I don't know. I don't, I want to pause you right there. Cause I don't think you say that so confidently. And, and I think someone might have missed the subtlety or the impact of what you just said. So by moving in a natural environment and engaging, 
there's been scientific studies that have shown that your working memory that is actually more, it has more of an impact than your IQ dramatically improves, which then carries over to all other aspects of your life because your life, your movement is not separate from your life. Even thought itself is a movement process. It moves in this linear yes, fashion. It's a, it's a story that's maybe three or four years old by Russ and Tracy Holloway that's been published. Um, and um, yeah, so the test showed that only the group who did MoveNet exercises, which is again, natural movement. They did some balancing and some hanging, some, you know, mild climbing. That was enough to boost cognition and to uh, significantly increase working memory that directly translated to those tests. Even of obviously when people had stopped moving, that's again, the, the brain that handles natural which is adaptable movement is also the brain that handles other tasks. It's the brain that processes, you know, distances. And it, it, I don't know how the brain works. Seriously, I'm not a brain. You're not a neuroscientist. I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a cognition expert. But even they, they had that intuition that that might be the case, and I had the same intuition too. I once uh, talked with. Uh, James Rady, he's also a, a very well-known uh, person, uh, I believe a neuroscientist, and he had a book where he just explains how physical activity of any kind is going to, brain, to boost your brain activity, neurogenesis and everything. Mm -hmm. But it's always been my intuition that if physical activity alone could boost brain function, Adaptable movement, again, that's natural movement, might boost brain function even more. Because, excuse me, but the difference between doing bodybuilding, as muscle isolation where you don't really have to pay attention too much, or even yoga where you have, you hold a position that's pre-designed, predetermined, that you replicate exactly the same, which does not actually interact with nature or with any environmental variable. The only environmental variable is the piece of foam where you stand on the flat, stable ground. That is not stimulating. That is very sterile. You yeah, I never find myself moving through regular life and finding that I have to jump into a warrior two all of a sudden. That's never, occur that's never happened to me yet. Exactly. So you could almost uh, fall asleep in those positions, right? My, no. my, my, my girlfriend's a, been a yoga teacher for like over a decade. She practices less and less yoga and does incorporates a lot of different elements. Like she'll be moving and then start to move in a different way. And it's, she still actually increases her mobility, but in a way that doesn't look like yoga. And even before our dances, we have yoga practices. And for most people, you could watch the yoga transition out of these fixed positions into more of a free form in the world of yoga is definitely transition in that direction because first off uh people get bored uh they want new things but they also want more actual movement and not just trans a transition from one movement or one position to the next you know what uh, a lot of what you see in yoga is actually a transition from one position to the next and then you hold the position 
What movement is much more dynamic than that? Real movement. And then the next step would be, hey, why don't you do natural movement? So that means that you are also going to interact with environmental variables. Again, diverse surfaces, diverse distances and angles and textures that are going to engage and stimulate your cognition even more. Remembering that no movement is something external. No movement is something purely physical. No, not even bodybuilding, but even less so natural movement, adaptable movement. It's not external. What you see, when you see a, a body moving from the outside, that's not an external movement. That's, it only happens outside because it has already taken place within. Mm-hmm. And the way it takes place within is because you have an agenda, you have a, a motive, you have a practical goal in mind. And, but sometimes it's, it's to think, oh, okay, I'm doing that because I'm going to burn fat or something. It's good for yeah, me. Yeah, it becomes overly simplified. There's a set of sequences of, right. of, a, of a desire to move and then an impulse like to move. And then the movement creates an impulse and the muscles begin to fire. And then the movement starts to fold out in the most coherent way that it knows how to. And I think what happened with me is there became a block. Like I'd go to bend and my body goes, there's no context. It's not safe to bend outside of context. And somehow the minute context was introduced, like the example was I couldn't, I couldn't bend down to duck under anything. I, I just, I was not, my body didn't bend that way. And I would try to get myself into, you know, uh, a chair pose and my body would refuse it. It would just fail. And like, I'd get tense and I'd stand back up. But the minute you swing a stick at my head, boom, somehow my body, it's a different impulse. It's not me trying to control myself to sit in this position for no apparent reason. Instead, it's an actual demand coming at me. It's almost like my body, you were saying, went, it's my nervous system said, no, you have no reason to bend that way. There's nothing contextually. We're not going to take the input from the inside of how you want to bend. We're going to only take what you actually need to do. We're not going to let you you go through this weird mechanical process anymore. It's over for you. Exactly. You're not just alone in your head, trapped in your hand, and, you know, one-on-one with your body and trying to just really dominate your body that way. Uh, You will definitely, it's really about um, controlling your body um, because you're not efficient and you're not not even potentially uh, safe if you don't control your body even in minute ways. Uh, but it's not because of a preconceived idea of the perfect way your body should be moving or behaving, but it's because of you're really trying, not even trying, but actually achieving practical physical performance in a context, in an environment. The way you jump, well, is going to change because of where you land and the way you want to land and maybe the, the transition you intend to do next. All of those variables will play a part in the way you control your body in movement. It's a radically different mindset. I want to just finish up with uh, how would somebody find a trainer uh, in their area? Uh, Most of our clients are in the U.S. because they have student loans or they are in Salt Lake City, Utah, because that's where we're located. Uh, how would they find somebody to work with on natural movement? Of course, they could get your book, which just came out uh, this year, 2019. Uh, and how would they find somebody? 
you uh, want to go to movenat.com, it spells M-O-V-N-A-T.com. And we have a trainer locator there. Um, and uh, we have an increasingly dense network of uh, uh, certified trainers, also licensed gym. Um, but uh, so hopefully there's already somebody in your area that you could contact and, and train with. Uh, the book is definitely a great tool for self-learning. And so that's a, a, a very effective way to get started already. And then this way, when you actually train with it, a certified trainer, or if you decide to join us for a training workshop or even a certification event, then uh, you don't start completely from scratch. As a matter of fact, I like to tell people, hey, uh, nobody starts natural movement from scratch. We don't teach natural movement. We teach efficiency natural movement, which is a a little different. Uh, Everybody has some basic ability to say jump or run or hang and maybe climb. But that's basic. And what we teach is to become skillful uh, at doing all of those natural movement patterns, all of those natural movement abilities. There's a reason why I, uh, I'm privileged uh, to actually train uh, special forces. Um, and it's not because I'm telling them, hey, uh, just go in the woods and be spontaneous and it will all naturally come back to, to you. Obviously, uh, they don't have uh, any time to waste on, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, use less words or on whatever gimmicky program. Uh, So we go straight to the point and uh, we look at the way they need to move, which is extremely practical. And uh, we and we work on everybody's individual uh, issues with, say, a certain way they, they behave in their movement that impairs their uh, prevent them from being optimally efficient. So they, they may lose stability, they may lose speed, they may create tension, they may not have a solution, that a movement solution. So basically learning a technique that once, once they've learned a technique, it solves the problem if that situation happens, things like that. So if it can help special operators, um, it can help anybody really. Thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, I look forward to coming down and uh, maybe doing one of these trainings myself sometime. Do you ever do any uh, in the Hawaiian Islands? Uh, I might if I move there. <laughs> um, could be. Yeah, yeah. next next winter uh, when we're down in Hawaii, we should uh, we should definitely connect while we're out there. All right, let's do that. Definitely yeah. with pleasure. Actually, I uh, have a we have a friend who's uh, who's working on uh, Move Nat Hawaii. He's on big, uh, he's on Oahu, Oahu, uh, and he's a he's a he's a former SEAL. So, uh, oh wow, think, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of interest in that community because um, they are well. It's it's their job and it's their life. So, and they are they're top notch people, really. Yeah, one little tiny break in that, uh, in when when you're in that situation, could be the end of you. Yeah, and uh, and also, um, you know, they get injured too. They they have to recover too, and uh, they they just it's also for their resiliency, for injury prevention, and of course for uh, operational advantage. Have you ever heard of ecstatic dance? I have. I've never done it myself. Um, I should try one day. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever end up in uh, Salt Lake city, Utah, 
uh, I'd love to have you as a guest. We could even do like a little movement class beforehand with, with some natural movement out right. in the garden. So, you know, you know the etymology uh, of ecstatic, right? Yeah, ecstatic meaning basically outside of static states of consciousness, uh, exp like being able to move in a way where essentially you your consciousness level shifts. Well, yeah, well, to um, yeah, ecstatic X is outside and static is state. You know, so yeah. an outside state. So basically, standing outside yourself, outstanding. Ecstatic is outstanding. So, stand, so it's that idea that you uh, ex, ecstasy and, and being ecstatic uh, happens when something outstanding absorbs your attention or something you do brings you to that state where you, you don't feel trapped in your own head anymore just thinking about yourself with your ego and your problems and whatnot. You're just really into the moment and into what is happening that it is you who's making it happening or something happens outside of you and it's jaw dropping or something fascinating. Um, it's, it's some, it must be have to do with something that has high fascination value. So that could be a revelation, spiritual revelation that can be a beautiful music, a sunset, obviously, a beautiful person that you love or uh, and and obviously uh dancing uh without a preconceived idea of what each and every move should be that's beautiful i think that that's like one of the best ways i've heard ecstatic described uh which yeah. is which is amazing i i like michael mead's definition also of the ecstatic he did this this video on on that whole that whole thing he's a uh, 70 i think he's 76 now but he worked, uh, he's a mythologist and he talks about the ecstatic practices of so many cultures, which were, that, their whole lives were developed around cultivating this experience of the ecstatic, you know, and there's, you got to eat food and do those things, but everything, even when they're make, when they're, people are gardening, you know, people would be playing drums, you know, and dancing between the gardening, you know, or hunting, they would be dancing, you know, in between, there was always a, you know, a celebration happening. It wasn't this industrialized mechanical process that we live in yeah. today. Yeah. Well, thank you, Erwin. Uh, I'm excited to go live with this, edit some of those pieces out, um, and look forward to meeting you either in Hawaii or somewhere else in the world. Keep, I, I really appreciate Likewise, the work you do. Likewise, I hope we uh, we link up in the real in the real world. Yes, green, the natural world. <laughs> yep. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening, and please follow us to hear future episodes where we discuss topics such as alternative states of consciousness achieved through dance, intention, and shamanic practices, sacred economics, dream work, trauma healing building community, permaculture, healthy and compassionate living and eating practices, somatic and alternative healing modalities, politics, psychology, mythology, and more. Our work is focused on the liberation of spirit, a return to the sacred, which is a constant collective inquiry. We aim both in person and on this podcast to plant and water the seeds of liberation from economic inequality, trauma, systemic conditioning, addiction, loss of soul, loss of meaning, hopelessness, helplessness, isolation, shame, nightmares, guilt, and a return to glimpses of your birthright, of dignity, joy, community, collaboration, equality, and constantly beautifying new world where you are not alone.
And always, if you're ever in the Salt Lake City area, come join us for yoga, dance, or in the garden. A community of beautiful souls are here to welcome you. We gather in community Wednesday, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3 p.m. And we have a vegan brunch or vegan dinner after every event. Our gatherings are all ages and are of no religious affiliation. We look forward to seeing you.